You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Looking at some of the photos and coloration patterns of turkeys, I was like, oh, I, I can't wait to see Angie try to describe this one. So, <laughs> describe. Well, what can they teach us? Collagen within the turkey's uh, cells, skin cells, that they wanted to create an inexpensive color coded biosensor. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. <laughs> and I'm Angie. Gobble, gobble, gobble. I just don't know why that always makes me laugh. I don't know why a turkey gobble always makes yeah, me laugh. Yeah, you're funny. I'm watching does. you on screen and I can just see you just start giggling like a little kid the minute I hit play. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I grew up with that, you know? Gobble, 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 gobble. Just, I don't know why it makes you laugh. I know. I wanted it's so right. I was gonna say, and it's just it you it's just the noise that they make. But stick with us today and you are gonna learn a lot more about wild turkeys. In fact, the gobble gobble is one of several vocalizations that they make, including a purr, among other really interesting sounds. So yes. Of course, we love them for their gobble-gobble, but they are a bird of many feathers and many cool behaviors, and it's going to be a fun podcast today for the holiday season. It, it is. It is. It, it, it's So for our listeners outside the United States, it, turkeys, it, it's our Thanksgiving holiday this week, and I know Canada has a Thanksgiving as well. So they have a Thanksgiving holiday too, but this is like a, a U.S. thing, and turkeys are part of that tradition. Now, later in the podcast, we'll talk about why turkeys are, but they're just, they're an amazing, kind of a ground-dwelling bird that we haven't covered a species from the galliforms yet. And so this is like our first game bird that we've covered. And again, every time we cover a bird, I'm amazed at the stuff I learned. I just, they amaze me. Birds amaze me. Oh yes, Chris. I was up late the past couple nights watching YouTube videos of wild turkeys strutting their stuff for the ladies, which we'll talk a lot about in behavior. And two, hopefully today, we'll bust some myths about turkeys not being a smart bird because that's that goes around a lot of time. People think they're not very smart or they're dumb birds. And But the more research I did, I was able to find out that wild turkeys in general are actually, for a bird, really smart and have a lot of emotions and feelings and cool behaviors and family groups. So, yeah, it just opened my eyes up a lot. 
Yeah, that's gonna be it's gonna be fun talking about them, and you know they were we're covering wild turkeys, but we will cover a little bit on domestic turkeys because obviously that's a a major protein source in in the United States and in other parts of the world, and they have a very interesting conservation uh, success story, which we're gonna get to. It's almost like the buffalo. Yeah, so, uh, so I we'll I, I was not aware of that, so it's really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So real quick, couple couple shout outs. I have to give a thank you to Thomas and Emily, who both joined us on Patreon this week. Thank you so much. Uh, we just sent money off to the Jane Goodall Institute. So thank you for supporting us and supporting conservation. Again, just one co- cup of coffee a month, you know, cappuccino you know, supports us and supports, you know, what we do in pushing not only education, but conservation. And, you know, we're going to get our website updated here pretty quick and some good stuff coming. So thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, Thomas and Emily. We really, really appreciate it. And, and for those of you that are unable to join us on Patreon, definitely subscribe, share and review uh, this podcast. Give it five stars, drop us a little line. That's really helpful for us to get exposure on iTunes. It's pretty easy to do, and I would love at least one or two written reviews this month that would make my holiday great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I laughed because usually it's pretty easy to describe animals, but looking at some of the photos and coloration patterns of turkeys, I was like, oh, I I can't wait to see Angie try to describe this one. So (laughs) describe what a turkey, not the white ones, because the the, the white ones are the domestics. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the wild ones because their coloration is amazing. Amazing. Yes, Chris. And your podcast partner did not let you down because I have actually (laughs) two slides and a photo to describe them. (laughs) You have to. But I will try to to. narrow it down. And I do highly recommend either going to our show notes or if you're not driving, you're just sitting at home, just pull up an image of a wild male turkey. I've been fortunate enough living both in Michigan and Florida and Georgia for a little while uh, to see wild turkeys. But I hadn't really seen a male up close and personal, especially one that has all of his plumage out when he is doing his strutting. So most of the images, of course, on, on the internet are going to be of a male that has his tail fans open and he is just looking mm-hmm. handsome and puffy and gorgeous. And so f- for our listeners that aren't from North America or aren't familiar, in general, wild turkeys, they're this large ground dwelling bird. They have long legs, long necks, large fan shaped tails, especially when they open them up and they have short little rounded wings and each foot. It has three toes in front with a shorter rear facing toe in the back. And then males have this spur behind each one, of their lower legs. But the real difference is in the male versus the female. They have a large amount of sexual dimorphism and the males are the real show ponies. They're a lot bigger. And then their plumage or their feathers have this dark color with an iridescent radiance about them. And, and they can iridesce colors, blue, red, purple, orange, gold, depending on which angle you look mm-hmm. at them from. It's just, it's just absolutely stunning. And then their flight feathers mm-hmm. are black with brown stripes. And when they open up those that back tail feather, they have beige, brown, cream-colored stripes that the bar up and down them. And it's they're 
pretty unique as far as their tail feathers goes. Like whenever I'm walking in the woods and I find one, I'm like, oh, that's definitely a turkey, a turkey feather. And they're just, they're just really beautiful as far as their plumage goes. The females are going to be duller than males. They're not going to have that iridescence to them. And, uh, they're going to have a grayish head and their neck is going to be a little bit more feathered. And speaking of their head and neck, that's where turkeys really, in my opinion, especially wild turkeys, really stick mm. out. And I had a lot of fun dorking out about turkey heads this, this week. Yeah, <laughs> so too. stay tuned. But what's really striking about wild turkeys is that their head is bald, so it doesn't have any feathers on it. Their neck and head, I should say. And in males, it's usually like this red color, but it can actually be red, white, or blue. And we'll talk a lot more about that um, as we move through the podcast and how it changes depending on their emotions and breeding season and thing like th- things like that. But I'm such a dork. I actually like Googled and found uh, turkey head anatomical features <laughs> so to make, yes, yes. <laughs> to make sure yes. that I was naming them all properly because I am an animal scientist. And so although I never specifically studied turkeys, I want to make sure and, and uh, get that right. But but wild turkeys have this like red wattle, which is like a fleshy dewlap skin that basically hangs down below their skin and their throat area. And they have a caruncle, which is like a wart-like projections of skins that attach to the upper part of their forehead. And then the real interesting body part that I learned about is this flesh-like, worm-like skin uh, accent, if you will, uh, tissue accent that's called a snood that is in between their eyes and just dangles down. This is okay. This it's it's PG thirteen, but some of this stuff reading about this, it it, it it's like a for our li- older listeners out there, a, an anatomical feature of a male. So go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, this I mean, it's crazy. It's, I'm like, what is this mm-hmm. on his face? Yeah, it basically goes out between their eyes and it's off their beak and it's just a long fleshy uh, tissue um, that can, it looks like a worm almost and it's different sizes depending on the male and his genetics and it just hangs down to the side of their beak and it's just like a little dangler. I don't know, like a tassel, almost like a graduation tassel or Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. and it along with their head and waddle, it can change colors depending on the emotional state or the breeding state of the turkey or the tom. So males can be called toms or gobblers and females can be called hens. So yeah, the snood is just, just very interesting. And I, and I, I guess for lack of paying attention, I never had really noticed that before on a turkey or definitely never thought, no. never thought to think about it or study it like I did this week. Well, it- <laughs> I mean, being a, a reproductive physiologist, so it's like, you know, we we study the physiology, the, the genetics behind it, and then, you know, all the way from the cellular level to the, to the functional level. And when this talks about erectile tissue, it elongates, it gets longer when they're aroused or getting ready to fight. Mm-hmm. So I just was like, what? I've, I can't think of another species that we've covered that has this on the face of all places. So I was just blown away by it. I was like, I, I was reading about this snood and I just was like, what the heck is this? Well, yeah. And it be- Never heard of it in my life. Right. It's, 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 a, it's an oddity. Uh, 
and the unique one for that matter. And so, of course, to me, I'm like, well, why? And and researchers at mm-hmm, this point mm-hmm. think that the snood functions both as intersexual and intrasexual selection. And studies have shown that captive female wild turkeys will prefer to mate with a long-snooted male mm-hmm. as compared to a short-snooted male. And male turkeys will also defer to other male turkeys that have the longer snoot. So it that, means something, right? Fitness. Yes. Yeah. Fitness Health, and, all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, who's the, the bigger, healthier male, blah, 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 right? Sure. And being reproductive physiologists, you and I, have, of course, under, understand a lot about uh, tissue that, tissues that can expand and contract with blood and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it also led me down the path of how do turkeys change colors? Because that is something I definitely did not know before this mm-hmm. podcast, that their heads are typically red, pinkish in color, but then they can be blue or white. That was that was shocking to me. And of course, being the physiologist, scientist in me was like, well, how? Why? How do they do that? And what research has shown is that turkeys can change this color of their skin within seconds. And it's believed that when a male turkey is excited or aroused, as Chris mentioned, his head will turn blue. When he's feeling stressed, his head will turn bright red. And the color is the color changes and shifts will happen many times throughout a day depending on stress levels. I'm kind of glad I don't have one of those. <laughs> yeah, I'd be red all the time. I was say my I'd be talking to like my students and they'd be like, Oh, she's upset. <laughs> or or my kids. Well, I I would like my kids to know when I'm upset, but I don't like the oh, general yeah, yeah. public to know when I'm like super stressed out or not enjoying myself. <laughs> True. Or aroused True. for that matter, right? Jeez. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, so crazy. But the physiology behind it is quite interesting. Yeah. And so Although the turkey's head is normally bright red, the color change is caused by visible blood vessels lying directly beneath their skin of the wattle or the head or the snoot. And the blood vessels are surrounded by these long bands of connective tissue called collagen. And collagen Mm -hmm. is a really important protein. It's a basic building block of most of our cells. As I age, I've learned a lot more about collagen and why I need more of it in my face so I don't get wrinkles. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at any rate, when the turkey gets upset, flustered, or whatever, the blood vessels will contract. So that means they they shrink down. They get smaller. And what that does is that exposes more of these collagen bands that are within the tissue. And as this either contraction or dilation happens, depending on how the turkey's mood is, it changes the way that incoming light scatters and reflects off the turkey's skin. And it can make it appear blue or white. It's basically the same scattering light effect that I don't understand because I'm not a chemical or optical engineer, <laughs> things like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's yeah. the reason that the sky appears blue and the sunset's red and things like that. And we've talked about another species that appears to have a blue face. And we didn't we learn that that no or a mammal that has blue on its face. Well, Do you yeah, remember, it Chris? Was- yeah, I was, I was, the, I was going to say, this reminds me a lot of the mandrel, like a Correct. lot. Correct. It's mandrel. exactly like the mandrel. And that's where, and that's with the mandrel, that's where I learned that really no mammal, at least, and I think bird for that matter too, actually has blue skin. It's not that the skin is actually blue. It's just the way that the light is reflecting in what we see with our, with our, the visible light that we see with our eye. 
cool stuff. Uh, you know, yeah, it's yeah. just like yeah, um, yeah. really, it's really so fun. Unique. And nature, nature is is incredibly unique. And then I went on to Super Dork out. Oh, yes. I did not stop there. <laughs> because as I was learning about this, I found out that there's actually researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, beautiful campus. I never tried to get in there. I probably wouldn't have, but gosh darn, I would have, <laughs> I would have loved it if I could have. But it, uh, but they have published a paper in Nature Communications, which Nature's a really big peer-reviewed mm-hmm. one of the top dog journals, where they were inspired by this color change pattern in a turkey's head. Okay, so they knew about this somehow, and they were like, "Holy cow, that's so cool that." that the turkey's head and color change actually acts as a sensor to its mood. So you can predict Mm -hmm. if it's excited or stressed or, or whatnot. And so, so this team of bioengineers and I think uh, chemical engineers, researchers at UFC Berkeley are trying to use this, uh, this theme, this idea of color change based on light reflections to detect toxins in the air. And by several protocols that were above my brain, so I'm not going to even try to <laughs> try, yeah, yeah, try yeah, to yeah, yeah. try to explain it. But they were just so inspired by the versatility of this collagen within the turkey's uh, cells, skin cells, that they wanted to create an inexpensive color-coded biosensor that can talk can tell you about air quality when you walk in a room. And they're hoping that from there, then they would actually like to do things as monitor glucose in this way like just and then they'd like to take this technology and keep going further with it and and for more medical purposes as to basically monitoring glucose through non-invasive ways where a patient could just breathe poop breathe and then these color changes will happen based on uh this chemical basically the contracting and relaxing of these sensors within the strip crazy I don't get it, but I'm impressed. <laughs> gobble, gobble. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's funny, Angie. I mean, that's a, a big reason to care about turkeys besides all the other things we're going to cover about them. Uh, just quickly on some of the sizes, because we, we didn't get to fit that in there yet. Uh, the snoot can be anywhere from one to six inches or up to 15 centimeters long. And the adult, so these are wild turkeys because we know domestic turkeys are, are bred to be, can be bred to be much bigger. Uh, generally range from 11 to 24 pounds, uh, almost f- 50 inches in length. I mean, that's that's pretty long, 125 centimeters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Females are smaller at 12 pounds or 37 inches long. And again, these are ground-dwelling birds, and, and we'll talk about flight, things like that, the galliforms. But their wingspans only can be up to, to five feet. So, you know, not too small, one, one almost less than one and a half meters, you know, mm-hmm. four feet. 10 inches roughly. So, um, but we'll talk about, you know, the function of the wings here in a little bit range. So these are North American birds, United States, uh, didn't see anything into Canada. So I don't know if some might cross the border in New York, that, that part of the world, maybe some of them might in the East there go, uh, go up into Canada, but they range in the 48 states, and then down into Mexico, down to the Yucatan Peninsula. So that's their native range. Wild turkeys, because when, you know, Europeans came, discovered, ooh, this bird, this bird that tastes so good. Ooh, let's take some back. They took some back to Europe. So there are some wild populations in Europe. 
Then, of course, they said, oh, New Zealand, great. This pristine area, this is a great place for these birds. So they've actually been introduced in the 1860s in New Zealand, and they're found there. So they native to North America, Mexico, the U.S., but now you find them in Europe and down in New Zealand. Now, Angie's already talked about one reason to care as far as the, the coloration. Some of the other things, their ecological niche, Really, you know, it's twofold because they're kind of a predator and then a prey, right? I mean, so they're omnivores. They have a very wide diet and they do eat small rodents, plants, insects, other types of small creatures. But then on the other hand, they are a, they're a prey item for other animals. Mm-hmm. And then with their omnivore habits, they do eat plants and they eat a lot of berries. I know they eat the blueberries in my mom's front yard. That's why I get to see them every morning when I'm in Michigan. Uh, so they also can act as a seed disperser for all the different fruit and nut-based plants that they eat. Absolutely. And so, so Angie, talking about turkeys, and you know, we talked about the ecological importance. I think one of the things I wanted to cover was talking about their conservation success story because they there are a couple – articles out there that said this is actually one of America's greatest conservation success stories, which when we look at things like the bison that -hmm. we brought back from near extinction, the black-footed ferret, which we thought was extinct for a number of years, we brought back from the brink, the California condor, all these other species we've talked about, you know, it's the the condors are still struggling. The black-footed ferrets are still struggling. Bison, maybe not as uh, you know, plentiful as we'd like. So maybe that's why turkeys are such a great success story. But it's an interesting one at that. So I just wanted to kind of talk about it because I think we can learn from it, especially mm-hmm. when we want to apply some of the things we've learned to other species and other birds. So the history of the wild turkeys is, you know, before Europeans came, the Native Americans honor turkeys. They, they, they did hunt them and eat them, but use their feathers for things. You know, they were just part of the, the landscape, but didn't have a huge impact on their populations. No. In fact, in most uh, Native American communities, because of their ability to kind of be one with nature and understand uh, its cycles, they thought of turkeys as sacred birds. And yeah, the Navajos, for instance, considered turkeys a sacred bird. And the Navajo people will often use feathers and other parts of turkeys in traditional ceremonies, but definitely did not decimate the wild populations until the Europeans came over. Right, 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 right. So in the 1500s, before the Europeans came, there was an estimated 10 million turkeys in the United States down in Mexico and then down into Mexico. Now Europeans come they start to kill turkeys in mass because they think, oh, they're just plentiful. They're everywhere. So, you know, it's a good food source and they hunted them. Then also you had habitat destruction or logging. And, you know, I was thinking about this because it's something we don't really think about today, especially, you know, like in your backyard there in Florida or in the Eastern coast of the United States, you know, when you look at the Appalachians, you see trees just everywhere, just plentiful everywhere. Think back to the 16, 17, 1800s. Wood was 
a primary source of fuel, right? So what do we do when we have a source of fuel? We, we, we dig it out of the ground. We go after it with so much vigor that we almost like eliminate it and, and, and reduce it to almost nothing. So thinking back then, the, the woodlands were very sparse because people were cutting down trees all the time. They were making charcoal. They were building homes. They needed that to cook with. So there weren't as many trees as there is today. So with the hunting and the loss of habitat, it decimated wild turkey populations. So much so, okay, so we had 10 million in the 1500s. By 1900, they think there was less than 30,000 wild turkeys left in the United States. That's crazy. Yeah, and out of the 39 native states that they were in, it was eradicated in 18 of those. So it was remained, tur- you could find wild turkeys in about 21 of the states. But again, that population down to 30,000. So one of the things they started to do was introduce domestic turkeys because at that point they had domesticated them thinking, oh, they can go repopulate the wild. And that wasn't true. They didn't survive as well as wild turkeys and that wasn't going to work. So what happened was entered the- President Theodore Roosevelt and George Bird Grinnell, and they pushed for protections of turkeys in habitat. And one of the things about Theodore Roosevelt, I know like he was a big game hunter, but he was a big naturalist too. And in the United States, we, he was one of our presidents of the United States. He actually was very important in establishing uh, many of our, our national parks. Mm-hmm. And he helped establish the Forest Service to protect areas. And then they also passed game laws. So this helped. And by 1952, bird numbers went up to 320,000. Then by 1973, you had about 1.7 million turkeys. So it was working. Now, the National Wild Turkey Federation stepped in to help. And this is an organization that does promote hunting of turkeys. And I... I don't remember what bird species we were, we were talking about, but I don't know if it was albatross, but I remember saying, or it was in one of our episodes and, and, you know, I don't hunt, you don't hunt, but we, you know, we, we've talked about that uh, a lot in the podcast and many of our wetlands in the United States and the protections are due to duck and geese hunters who have fought hard to preserve those, those areas, not just for their sport, but to preserve the the other animals in there. Okay. So hats off to them. National wild Turkey Federation, very similar thing. They have stepped in half a billion dollars have, has been generated for wildlife conservation and preserving over 17 million acres of wildlife habitat in an effort to protect turkeys you know, and so people can enjoy it and go out and enjoy the wilds and if, if they hunt them, if, if they want. So due to those efforts and, and them stepping in in the early 70s, now today it's estimated there's over 7 million wild turkeys in the U.S. Which is just amazing because yeah. I get to see them all of the time. My, my boys have seen them both in Michigan and in Florida, and they're probably different subspecies, but we'll talk mm-hmm. about that in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been able to see mother hens and their little turkey chicks uh, or poults follow mm-hmm. behind them and watch them interact and graze for food. 
and just been able to enjoy them and their calls up close and personal. And that, if it wasn't for some of these groups that you mentioned, that wouldn't be possible today. Right. And it is definitely 100% an amazing American conservation story. I think that's why they say it's the greatest because they have rebounded so well. Mm -hmm. And preserving, you know, these, these, this wildlife habitat has served turkeys so well and that they're able to rebound. And then reading some of the the stuff up on them, I guess they're very difficult to hunt. Like they give out so many tags or whatever. And most people come back with maybe a bird, but it's very hard to find them. It's very hard to, to hunt them, even though we see them, but to get up close or whatever. So anyways, it, it's, you've got, we've got to tell the story. And when an organization like that steps up, raises that kind of money, is able to protect a lot of that wildlife habitat. You know, I get, I tip my hat to them and and what they've done. So. Well, absolutely, Chris. And I think it is important to mention that a lot of hunters are conservationists and are Mm -hmm. able to juggle both hats because of their sport that they enjoy doing. And, uh, and obviously it's a different pod for a different day to discuss hunting and whether or not turkey should be hunted and things like that. Uh, but it is currently the wild turkey is not endangered. And mm-hmm. so that's just wonderful. And they have all of this land to roam free and happy on. And all the ones I see look like they're having a pretty good time with their little social <laughs> groups and yeah. <laughs> eating the berries yeah. off the bushes yeah. and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. making all these vocalizations. And so, yeah, they're, they're really cool. So, Angie, uh, turkeys were domesticated over 2,000 years ago, and we can trace the domestic turkey breeds that we have today to a subspecies in central Mexico. So, the Native Americans were the first to start domesticating them and breeding them uh, for, for food source. Now, in the United States, there was more than 250 million turkeys raised on farms, you know, roughly it bounces between 245, 250 million, uh, 46 million were, were consumed on Thanksgiving. That's the big time of year where that's pretty much a staple for most American Thanksgiving dinners, uh, 22 million at Christmas, another 19 million at Easter. So Turkey is a major protein source, the United States as well as other countries I know in Europe and, you know, other parts of the world, turkeys are a protein source. So, you know, we talk about that very sustainable, uh, not, they don't have a huge carbon footprint, say as some red meats and stuff. So just wanted to highlight that, that domestic turkeys, you know, number in the millions and millions and millions, but this podcast is all about the wild turkey today. Well, Chris, speaking of the consumption of domestic turkeys over Thanksgiving or other holidays here in the United States, one of my favorite traditions is the presidential pardon. So what happens is a domestic turkey will be selected and given a presidential pardon to go on and live its life and not have to be utilized for a meat bird, whether it goes to a sanctuary or something like that. And it's thought that the first presidential pardon in the United States for a Thanksgiving turkey was given by Harry Truman in 1947. And in recent years, uh, several of the turkeys have gone to Washington's Mount Vernon. Sometimes they don't do as well or live as long because they are used to living under human care. So mm-hmm. they don't always live out the rest of their life 
super as long as a wild turkey would. Right. But they do get caught. You know, they get cut a break, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. They'll end up on a dinner plate. So that's good. <laughs> you know, we'll touch a little bit more on, on domestic turkeys here later in the podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But, uh, you know, jumping into their natural history, which, which I always find fascinating with birds, because, you know, we always go back to birds descending from dinosaurs. Archaeopteryx, baby. Yep, 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 yep. Our, our, our little Thanks dinosaur to my expert. kids and all their dinosaur yep. books. I know this. <laughs> Zachy. But, okay, so the class is aves, which are the birds. The order, like I said earlier in the podcast, is galliforms, which are game fowl or the game birds. Mm-hmm. So these are ground-feeding birds. So not only do you have turkeys, you have the quail, you have partridge, pheasant, guinea fowl, jungle fowl, pea fowl. So those are the peacocks. Grouse. Grouse, chickens. So those are galliforms, which I think our next one will probably be peacock. Turkey edged them out this time. But anyways, you know, a lot of interesting, cool birds in there. And I'd I'd like to go back and like do a chicken too. It would be really cool to kind of talk about. I love chickens. I got to work with chickens at the zoo. Buffy, this little (laughs) bantam that I used to work with. So so they're much more smarter than people think. They can be target trained, all this. Yes. Uh, Anyways. Okay. Go ahead. They're fun. Yeah. They're fun. Yeah. They're super. Well, you had chickens in your backyard. I remember for a while. Yeah. Yeah, In Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. tons of eggs, fresh eggs. Yeah. They were great. Now in the Galliforms, they can trace this back to about 85 90 million years ago. So they have found fossils in Texas and then others in Argentina. Now, these are one of the main groups of birds that survived the fifth mass extinction that wiped out T-Rex and friends. Okay. So they're this, this, out of all that mass extinction, this was a major group that could survive because this mass asteroid or could be a comet impact killed off not only the non-avian dinosaurs, but it killed off a lot of bird species, a lot of dominant bird species at the time. So animals that were living on like open plains or high up in the trees, they died off. They, they, got, they got stomped out of existence with this mass extinction. The galliforms, they're the, the relatives of today's galliforms, were small, lived in the ground or in around water. And so they were able to survive that mass extinction event and then thrive. Now, the true galliforms that we know today didn't arrive on the scene until about 45 million years ago. I was like thinking, I was thinking about this, Angie, 45 million years ago is when galliforms, these pheasants, these turkeys, these peafowl showed up. 45, sometimes you just like, it just hits me in the face. I'm like, wow. You can't even fathom it. I, yeah. I try. I try when I'm reading these dinosaur books about the Jurassic versus the, uh, what are the other periods? The, uh, help me out here. Triassic. and Triassic. Yeah, the, the, what's the one yeah. with the sea? The, 
Oh, oh, we were going way back, like the Permian extinction. I don't know. At any rate. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, you just, it's just. The Eocene, the Miocene. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, it's just crazy. Uh, and it, it, for me, it really, I can't wrap my brain around it. it. And, but when we talk about animals that are endangered, that have evolved for, to be what they are. I mean, this turkey yeah. with his head changing colors and his strutting and his tail feathers. I mean, that's been happening for millions and millions of years. And so about they 10 deserve million. our attention. Turkeys are, yeah. Yeah. Turkeys are about 10 million years ago. It's yeah. Like, they they deserve our been attention. a long time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a long, long time that evolution's been working. And, you know, I was just watching a show, Angie, on, on the elephant bird. And that's the largest bird ever to exist that died out four or 500 years ago. It was huge, 10, I think 10, 12 feet tall. Uh, it's, and, and how many millions of years did that one take to evolve? So, yeah, turkeys have been around quite a long time, and the galliforms are, are very much a success story. Now, looking more at their classification, the turkey is from the family Fascinidae. So, the pheasants, uh, old world quails, uh, peafowl, jungle fowl, chickens. Partridges. Yeah, partridges. You're right. Sorry. A partridge might be a good one for Christmas. Okay. And a partridge in a pear tree. Tree, yes. That's a a ground fowl. Sorry, I'm married to Jingle John, and so Christmas has already started at our house. We are listening to Christmas music. It is. We're watching Christmas movies. So, yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. I was a bah humbug. No, I I was very not Christmas-oriented. But you know how you get married and you compromise, and now I love Christmas as much oh, as he. Christmas. Well, not as much as him. He's already yeah. he's already drinking eggnog. Plus, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's my it's my favorite time of year. I love the holidays. I love it. Love you it, do love too. It. Okay, so yeah, let's do. see. We've I got do. Jingle John, and then we'll call you Christmas Chris. <laughs> yeah, Chris Kringle. Yeah, there you All go, right. Chris Kringle. Yeah. <laughs> so the gen- genus is Malegris. Now, there's two species. We're covering the wild turkey of the East and Central United States. But there is the oscillated turkey down in the Yucatan Peninsula, which is like a smaller, gorgeous blue, beautiful bird. It's a beautiful bird. But, you know, we're sticking to the old wild turkey that is associated with Thanksgiving. Now, within the wild turkey species, so the Milagris gallopavo, there are six subspecies. So you have the Eastern wild turkey, the Osceola or Florida wild turkey. Osceola, I think. Thank you. Thank you. I never said Osceola right. So Florida, I bet it's been a while since I've lived in Florida. The Rio Grande turkey, you can figure where that one's at. Isn't it Rio is Grande? But that's Rio Grande. Rio Grande. Yeah, Rio Grande. Rio Grande. Rio Grande. Rio Grande. There you go. So down there in Texas and Mexico, the Miriam's wild turkey, that one is more of the Rocky Mountains. And then the Gould's wild turkeys down in Mexico. And then you have the South Mexican wild turkey. So those are your, your right, six Chris. subspecies. Right, Chris. Yeah, and I, I was reading that the Gould's wild turkey is threatened. I don't know if it's classified as threatened, but they're definitely their numbers are down. Uh, and then the South Mexican wild turkey is critically endangered. Okay. Okay. So the North American ones are doing really well. 
Correct. The Mexican ones are mm-hmm. not too so well. And that's what I learned too researching this podcast is when I'm in Michigan, I'm probably seeing the eastern wild turkey eat the blueberries at my mom's and march around and drop their tail feathers for my boys to find, which we love. And we collect them and we put them in jars and give them to our Nana. And then when I'm in Florida, I'm most likely seeing the Osceola wild turkey. Oh, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's when you are. That's true. Now, I got a trivia question. Bird for you nerd alert. Quick. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Total bird nerd. <laughs> Shout out to Jesse. All right. So, turkeys got their name because merchants from t- Turkey, the country Turkey, mm-hmm. brought them to Europe. And so they called the bird turkeys. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. yeah but there are no native European turkeys, though. No. The bird nope, is nope. actually. From North America. Yep, yep, yep. But they loved them because they taste so good. All right. So I think it's time to introduce a flightless bird. Now, Angie, you would probably know this one, or you would at least recognize it from the UF's Natural History Museum. If you remember walking through there and you saw this thing with this enormous beak and you were like, oh, my gosh, if I ever saw that, I would die. A pelican. No. <laughs> I don't this remember. Ancient, ancient. I'm chasing ancient. two little kids around that museum, Chris. <laughs> you know, Besides Megalodon and Mastodon, that's about all I, that's, uh, and the giant you, you sloth, go, and the giant go, armadillo. Okay. In the giant sloth and giant armadillo hall, there is uh-huh. this thing. Didn't you remember seeing it with the beak that's like a parrot beak? That's huge. And oh. I used to walk by yeah, but I don't know the name yeah. of it. Okay, <laughs> I got. We called... have to go back. We haven't been back since uh, the pandemic, so we need to. Okay. Um, yeah, hopefully, okay. in the near future, when yeah. everything is a little bit more open. So this thing is called the terror bird. Oh right. Okay. Yes. Yes. yes I do. It's, it's like you see <laughs> that thing, and its its scientific name is Forest Sade. So Forest Sade, terror bird. Terror bird. This thing had. A massive beak, sharp talons, preyed on small mammals like early horses. The oh thing my. was horrific. It up to stood up to ten feet tall, and it was just a carnivorous bird. It was a flightless carnivorous bird. It was like a, a walking dinosaur, and it lived. Look at this range from sixty-two million years ago up to one point eight million years ago. Wow. So over yeah. 60 million years, this bird survived, survived mass extinction. And it was just, I would, that's why like if you did a time machine and went back 2 million years ago, you would just die. The animals would just, you die from it. it <laughs> well, so I think it's a great idea for like movie makers, like Jurassic Park. Yes, yeah. it's an interesting concept and my boys love it and all this and that. But I think there should be one similar but with mammals and birds that are more evolved and some of these giant, oh, giant critters and just really yeah. shake things loose. What do we had the hoofed wolf that has like hooves like a horse or, you know, just the crazy stuff that the, the giant bears they had. Oh, the giant orangutans that stood 10 feet tall. Like just the stuff in natural history is amazing. Amazing. I think if I went back and, if I went back and redid my PhD and stuff, I'd probably just study this stuff because it just, it blows me away. It blows me away. Have you been uh, to New York's Natural History Museum? I need to go. 
One of my favorites. Absolutely. Okay. One yeah, of my I haven't yeah. been, but I have good friends that live there and they're always like, come on, bring the boys. So it's on my bucket list. Yeah. It, it's for anybody that, that goes to New York City, I highly recommend it. The, the, the stuffed animals is it's a little hard to stomach because from the 1800s, they'd go and shoot all these families and stuff them. But a lot of the natural history stuff in there, you know, the, I think the third and fourth floors with all the bones, it just is like, wow, you're wowed. It's one of my favorites. It absolutely is one of my favorites. Now, switching gears to some facts, turkeys can live up to five years in the wild, but the average is about a year and a half. I know I read that and it's so sad. But they're but as you mentioned earlier, uh they are uh, it, you know lower down on the food chain. They provide a lot of meals and they have a mm-hmm. tough life, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's just sad. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah, I saw that and I was like, okay, that makes yeah, it makes sense. Now, wild turkeys compared to domestic turkeys. They're smaller, obviously. They're darker meat. It's, it's, I guess, an intense flavor. I haven't had wild turkey before. Uh, they're generally quiet, whereas your domestic turkeys, again, they're white in color. They never shut up. And I guess they were bred to have large breasts. And that is like, you know, when you think of turkey dinner, you have these enormous, giant, white meat breasts that's a lot of the meat so that makes them very heavy so they can't fly and can't really get away from predators and again like angie said they probably don't do so well in longevity because their their bodies aren't designed they're genetically bred to be this heavy so that's probably why they have some 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 trouble but wild turkeys angie because i was like okay you have this ground dwelling meal on two feet it's how do they escape predators so they can fly short distances? And I guess they're pretty fast. Yeah, Chris, as far as their ground speed, like when they're on the ground running, they can clock up to 18 to 25 miles per hour, which that's like a human sprinter. So really, really fast for mm-hmm. a bird running with its feet. And then as they pick up lift, they can fly way faster, like 55 miles per hour. So. That is really fast. That's insane. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Now they don't, they don't fly too long, too far. They usually fly for about a quarter of a mile. Uh, That's about 400 meters. And and they don't go really, really high up. Like you might see, you know, some of the other smaller birds flying. And they do also fly up every night to the tops of the trees because they roost or they sleep at night in trees because it's much safer place for them to be uh, than on the ground hanging out when you're, in the middle of the food chain. So yeah, it's just really, really incredible. And I've definitely seen some fly. My, my good old girl gypsy loves to chase them. <laughs> so oh, I see them run, 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 run. And then they, yeah, then they take off and she has yeah. no chance. She has no chance no, at catching. No, them. no. So no, yeah, yeah, no. And well, some of the predators so, that do go after them. So the ones that go after the eggs or nestlings, right? The small ones that Angie was talking about. He, raccoons, possums, skunks, foxes, uh, woodchucks, okay, bobcats, snakes, and both, you know, some some types of snakes. Yeah, I was like skunks. We, well, we haven't yeah. done a skunk yet, so I, clearly there's a lot I need to learn about skunks. Yeah, that's, that's coming. That skunk's got to be coming this year. We have to do skunks coming up. 
Now, adult turkeys, I mean, obviously humans are, are one of the, the major ones, but you do have things like great horned owls, eagles, mountain lions, again, raccoons. Raccoons are, I love raccoons. Uh, bobcats, coyotes, so maybe cougars. I did say that, mountain lions. So th- they will go after and eat adult turkeys if they can catch them. But, you know, that's pretty fast. I mean, not only running, but flying. You know, good luck trying to catch them. Definitely, Chris. I think it's really important to mention too, though, they will they will defend themselves. Uh, when fighting off predators, turkeys can kick with their legs and they'll use those spurs on the back of their legs as weapons. Uh, they might bite with their beak or ram their large bodies at a predator. So they're no cassowary when it comes no, to kicking. No, no, no. But they, you know, they'll they'll stick up for themselves a little bit when they, when they can, and uh, depending on what predator it is coming after them, they might they might stand a chance. But for birds, wild turkeys do have really good eyesight during the day. At nighttime, not so well. But I mean, I can relate to that. Trust me. <laughs> so these eyes help them see predators, which is great. Uh, and then that way, they can either run or fly away from them if possible. Now, yeah, again, switching gears. Nutrition wise, like we said, they're omnivores, primarily eat things like, you know, nuts, berries, like you talked about, leaves, uh, other vegetative uh, matter. They also do eat insects, salamanders, other small things, like we said, rats. So up to 10 or mice, up to 10% of their diet is like being a predator. (laughs) It's like, you know, those dinosaur genes or whatever. And again, they're, they're going to forage primarily on the ground. And then like Angie said, they, the, the trees are mostly for roosting or they can get some fruit and buds and stuff like that up there, but very diet. Yeah. Well, then speaking about what goes and has to come out. Yes. Poop. I'm sure a lot of my zookeeper friends and Corbin, he, he has a Turkey Tom that I follow that's on right, Instagram. That's right. That's he, right. That's <laughs> so right. Yeah, that's thanks right, to Corbin. Yeah. Got to give yeah. you a shout out. They all probably knew this, but I learned when I was researching that you can actually tell a wild turkey's sex and age from its poo. Hmm. Yeah. So the male droppings are going to be J-shaped. And the female droppings are going to be spiral shaped. And then larger in diameter means older. (laughs) (laughs) Which that I, that I already knew. I mean, after cleaning up dog poo for, and horse poo, uh, baby poo, mama poo, all that, uh, that's not too shocking, but no, but I thought it was very interesting. And I I couldn't, I couldn't get behind the, uh, the anatomical reason of why the males do a J and the females are spiral, but. At any rate, that's pretty cool, I thought. And <laughs> for the poop, always. I know. And then for yeah. those that uh, are also familiar with wild turkey care, uh, pa- uh, parasites or other unhealthy things that are going on within a wild turkey can actually have an impact on the male's coloration of his head and neck. So it can serve okay. as a signal of health. Okay. 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 So besides gobbling, what other cool, fun behaviors do these birds do? Because I know there's a ton. There's a ton. Oh, yes, Chris. I did a big deep dive this week into turkey vocalizations because we know the gobble gobble, but there are several others. And with their vocalizations comes the important fact that turkeys are very social. 
And during the winter, because they don't migrate, so they hang out wherever, whether they're in Massachusetts or Florida, mm-hmm. they hang out there for the winter and they form these bands, which there's going to be somewhat of a do- dominance hierarchical, maybe based on the snood, the size of the snood and other things. Uh, but each band will defend territories against other bands and they're able to communicate really effectively with each other. And so in the opening of the podcast, we did the gobble gobble, but researchers think they maybe have up to 20 other vocalizations that can include clucks, putts, purrs, whines, cuts, yelps, cackles, and kikis. And on our show notes, we'll put some, a link to several of these because I don't have time to put them all on air. But one of my favorite was the purr. And it's just really, really interesting because they use it when they're happy, they use it when they're angry. And the gobble gobble is classic, right? That's yes, just what a male yes. does. He, he struts yeah. and he gobbles. And we'll talk about that when we get to courtship because their courtship okay, behavior is okay. awesome. But researchers think that anywhere from these 15 to 20 different vocalizations that have been observed in the wild can be used for communication to one another to actually relay a variety of messages, right? Well, that to me, Chris, shows about how intelligent these birds are, that they have all these different vocalizations and ways that they can inflect their calls to mean something different. And males can also emit like a drumming sound that's really low pitched by uh, moving the air sac in their chest almost to like a booming prairie chicken. And then I learned, too, that they can also make this sound called a spit, which is a a sharp expulsion of air from the air sac. So they can do different things with this air sac. And while I was fascinated on vocalizations and their intelligence, I basically came across this really interesting myth that turkeys are morons or dimwits. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. one of it is, is because a lot of times they stare up at the sky and they kind of like when horses we call it stargazing, but they'll look at the the sky. And even if it's raining, they'll continue to look up and they won't look down. So this myth started that they're like, oh, they're so dumb that they'll drown themselves during a rainstorm because they just like won't look down. Mm-hmm. But this is totally not the case. Researchers have shown that there's actually an inherited genetic condition called tetanic torcular spasms which make turkeys stare at the sky for more than 30 seconds, whether it's raining or snowing or whatnot. And this does not mean that they're dumb. It's actually a genetic condition, a spasm, if you will. And wild turkeys will often tilt their head, and I know this from chickens, because they have monocular vision. They don't have binocular vision. They they use each eye individually. And so they need to look at something. And so they'll turn their eye up and look at the target stick or whatever is going. So they can't focus images like we do. They have to move their head to get a better view. Mm. And so, Chris, as I kept digging about wild turkey and their intelligence and their capacity to learn, researchers demonstrated that wild turkeys can return to the exact location of a baiting station an entire year later. I can't even remember why I walked into the kitchen, for goodness sakes, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And here they are. I mean, like when I mean exact, I mean to the like under the same leave location of where food was baited a year prior. And it's also been shown by researchers that Turkeys have a lot of social bonds and social intelligence, where if one turkey is removed from its flock or its friends, 
even if it's in a domestic situation, that turkey will be frustrated and upset and squawk until he's basically reunited with his friends. And there's also been suggestions, and I couldn't find any really like empirical data, but that the vocalizations can almost be somewhat of a language and once again have these inflections of the way they say it, how they say it, just little subtleties that only somebody that spent a lot of time with turkeys would understand. And so if you are curious about turkey vocalizations and what they might mean, there was a documentary in 2011 in the UK on BBC called My Life as a Turkey. And it won a lot of awards, even won an Emmy for Outstanding Nature Program. And it was based on a book called Illumination of the Flatwoods by Joe Hutto, H-U-T-T-O. And he also helped with with the TV program. But what it is, is Hutto, H-U-T-T-O, if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, I apologize. He's a naturalist, and he spent time raising a brood of his own wild turkeys. And they imprinted on him once they came out of the egg. And he describes in this book, and then, of course, in this uh, television episode, this movie, My Life as a Turkey, about how intelligent they are and how and how refined their language is. Because he spent so much time with them, he was able to like learn their inflections. And I, I watched a YouTube video, and he could like mimic all of their calls and get them to respond. <laughs> this yeah. is really cool. He's like he's like known as a turkey whisperer. And anyways, <laughs> it just we'll we'll put the, we'll put the link on our show notes. It just gave me really awesome hope that like wow, like here's somebody that's really gotten to know turkeys. And then mm-hmm, I haven't mm-hmm. seen the documentary, but I'm totally gonna check it out over this Thanksgiving holiday. And just really have a new appreciation for them because I know, especially domestic turkeys, they often just get viewed as like dumb birds. And I definitely think the wild counterparts are more intelligent because they have to be right because they're out in the wild and predators and stuff. But I think it doesn't mean that domestic turkeys or wild turkeys in general don't have feelings and aren't able to uh, solve problems and socialize and uh, figure out once again how to find food and have decent memories for birds and things like that. So yeah, I just, it it was a really touching story. So I want to learn more about it. (laughs) The turkey whisperer. Well, what are are some of these, uh, you know, the the repro behaviors and and things like that? Because just with the the snood and and I just see these. Oh yeah, these Chris. It's tough, like I said. It's, it's I. I spent a lot of time on YouTube just pretending <laughs> all these noises late at night coming from my side of the bed. John's like, "What is happening over there?" I'm like, "I'm watching. <laughs> I'm watching turkey breeding videos." You know. Um, but yeah, no, it's pretty crazy. So wild turkeys are polygonous, which means the male will breed with as many females as possible. And wild turkeys generally breed early in the spring with southern populations will start courtship in January because it's warm down here and northern populations in like February or March. Mm-hmm. And the courtship of the males to the females will take place mostly in March and April when there's a lot of turkeys still flock together from their winter, uh, their overwintering habitats. And so, like I said, most pictures of wild turkeys, if you Google it, is going to be this male turkey with his display for a female by puffing out his feathers and spreading out his tail fan, 18 feathers, and he drags his uh, wings on the ground. And then I also forgot to mention the amazing razzle-dazzle tuft of feather that comes out from the male's chest. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a stringy feather. I'm, that's not the best des- uh, description, but yeah. it's just like it's blackish iridescence in color, and it's known as a breast tuft. That's a technical term. I call it a stringy feather. <laughs> but okay. once again, I'm definitely not an ornithologist, unfortunately. That would have been a fun route to go down. And so the male's puffed up and he's making gobble vocal gobble gobble vocalizations. And this this movement is called strutting. So the strutting behavior, mm-hmm. puffed out feathers, tail spread, dragging the wings on the ground, where a lot of the YouTube videos I was watching, it was from national parks, and you can and like for whatever reason, because why not? They can. It's a national park. The turkeys are the male turkeys are strutting on on the roads, the pavement roads, and you can hear the wing feathers dragging on the ground. And so it's just a really interesting body position. But they gobble, gobble. They drum. They boom. They spit. Uh, spitting being a vocalization. Remember, as signs of social dominance, and then also to attract a female. And the males' head and necks are brightly colored with red, white, and blue. And and the color change will happen the more excited that the male gets. And when these males are strutting and gobble-gobbling, this gobble-gobbling sound can be heard approximately a mile away. It's loud. It's loud. It's loud. It's loud. And then I do love it. The toms, the male turkeys, aren't the only ones to strut their stuff. The female hens will also swagger and fan their tail feathers to woo mates as well and then and also chase away or ward off some other female, some of their competition. And after male and female do get together and breed, a nest is built that's like a shallow depression in the ground, okay? So it's even though they roost in trees at nighttime, the nest is in the ground. They usually try to make hide it in dense brush or deep grass or on a fallen tree. And the female will s- scratch this nest out, build it, and lay anywhere from four to 17 eggs. She only lays one brood of eggs per season, mm-hmm. and she will incubate them for 25 to 31 days. And once the young tur- turkeys hatch, they're called poults, and they stay with the female parent until the fall if they're male or early spring the next year if they're female. So the females will stay a little bit longer. Mama Wild Turkey defends her poults, her little ones, mm-hmm. from predators, including hawks, and she'll chase them away and things like that. The Tom, the male turkey, he's not too invested. He doesn't do much parental care at all. It's mostly all the female. But what I did find interesting is this behavior that I had never heard of, even in, in my ornithology class, um, granted that was many, many moons ago, but female turkeys have been observed to egg dump. And what that means is they will lay their eggs in another female's nest. <laughs> so. Like, I, I don't have time for this. So here, you can have my babies. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if they survive or if they're raised by the other mom. I couldn't write. I need to do a little bit more research on egg dumping. But I thought that that was an interesting twist on uh, turkey parenting care. And trust me, I've, I mean, I don't know you if I would. I don't know if I would kid dump for like a long, long time. But man, I would love to like kid dump over at my mom's house for like, hey, two hours. Can you yes, take them? Yes. Can you please yeah. take them? So, at any rate, but overall, it does seem like uh, Mama Wild Turkey, if she's not dumping them, which once mm-hmm. again, I don't think that's super common. She is a good parent. I mean, the, uh, yeah. you know, they uh, the poles stay with her for a while, and she protects them and helps them learn how to be a turkey, right? 
And those poults are going to develop to become mature adult wild turkeys around 10 months of age. However, if you're a male, you're, it's going to take you a little while to grow in, grow your snood and uh, grow into your own maturity to be strong enough and dominant enough to breed as many females. So they don't often breed mm. the first season. Yeah, no. I mean, only living a year and a half. I mean, it's not right. Long. <laughs> yeah. One shot, one shot Tom, and that's it. <laughs> so, but they're doing well. I mean, they were, we're up to 7 million wild turkeys. So obviously their, their strategy works well, especially in this modern day and age. But before we get to an organization, just conservation tip of the week. It's, you know, holidays, you know, people in the United States have time off, but it doesn't matter where you are in the world, get out in nature, go for a walk after a big meal, especially for the Americans after Thanksgiving. I suggest don't go lay on the couch, get up and go walk and get some fresh air. Listen for those turkeys. And I challenge you to pick up 10 pieces of trash while you walk. Just bring a little bag. Pick up 10 pieces of trash. It will make you feel good. You're making a difference no matter where you are in the world. But so organizations, I get there's probably not a turkey turkey organization out there. No, not necessarily. But I always like to give a big shout out to uh, the National Audubon Society that protect birds and their habitats for years. They do a great job. They can be found at audubon.org. That's A-U-D-U-B-O-N.org. They have a great presence on social media. You can learn a lot about birds. A lot of my facts come from them because I know uh, everything they do is well-researched and they're big educators. So, and they cover multiple bird species, like every bird species. So uh, always, always like to give a big shout out to National Audubon Society. And then just my little tip today is... Uh, if you are interested in trying a turkey-free protein over this holiday season, uh, tofurkey, which is tofu that's made to taste like turkey meat, uh, has really skyrocketed recently in the past couple of years and to the point where last Thanksgiving, I tried it and I'm actually going to get it again this year. And the product that I tried last year and I'll be looking for again this year is Trader Joe's Turkeyless Stuffed Roast, and it was really good. Uh, so if you are trying to eat less meat or you don't want to eat turkeys mm-hmm. after learning about how smart they are and how how amazing their physiology is, yeah, definitely give that a try. It, it, you won't you won't disappoint for sure. No, no, and then you know for the listeners in the UK. Go to Nando's and get that plant-based uh, uh, sandwich. It is so good with the peri-peri sauce. It is, wow, it, it is so good. So, Oh, you're eat- making me hungry. <laughs> oh, the plant-based meats, like Pip and I are like addicted to it. It's so good. Yeah. It's so, it tastes just like chicken and it's plant-based. So I was like, I was really surprised. But, um, you know, I do love my turkey. I love the smell of turkey. Oh, so why turkey is part of the Thanksgiving tradition. So the first Thanksgiving was held in 1621 in Plymouth, and you had 53 pilgrims and 90 90 Native Americans, and they were celebrating the first harvest by the pilgrims. So they had all this abundant food or food and brought it to a big table, and that was the first Thanksgiving, giving thanks. Turkeys probably weren't on the menu then. 
when it became more popular is when President Lincoln made Thanksgiving a national holiday in 1863. Then turkeys became very popular as like the staple for Thanksgiving because it can feed many people at one time with one bird. So that's when it became more of a tradition. But pretty soon we're all going to be eating, eating Angie's turkey tofu. No, no, I'll try it though. I definitely, yes, I don't forget. I will definitely try it. But, uh, you know, I just want to, you know, say thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you for supporting the podcast and have a wonderful holiday season. We've already started it with the quokka and the beluga, turkey, and we've got some awesome fun species coming in the next few weeks. So uh, take care. Thank you, everyone. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.